Johnny Cash once described country music as being made of emotions, of love, of breakup, of love and hate, and death and dying, mama, apple pie, and the whole thing. I'm Tennessean country music writer Cindy Watts. Welcome to Country Mile, the USA Today Network's new podcast series exploring the evolution of one of America's truest art forms through the stories of some of the genre's biggest names. Quick, somebody throw a football. I got all sad. Tell you what, man. This town, this town needs more balls like you've got. (laughs) Garth just said balls on my podcast. I'll say it. Balls. It's like a whole pool table's worth now. (laughs) Welcome to Country Mile a podcast series brought to you by the USA Today Network and Belmont University. Today's episode is a special edition with Garth Brooks and Ashley McBride in honor of the 53rd CMA Awards, which will air live from Nashville's Bridgestone Arena at 7 p.m. November 13th on ABC. Garth is nominated for Entertainer of the Year and Vocal Event of the Year for his performance with Blake Shelton on Dive Bar. Ashley is nominated for New Artist of the Year. We taped this podcast, which is all about songwriting, live in front of an audience of thousands at Belmont's Curb Event Center. Well, let's get started. So, Ashley McBride is one of Nashville's most respected performers. I see her over there. One of Nashville's most respected performers and the Academy of Country Music's reigning new female vocalist of the year. She spent 2019 opening shows for George Strait, and she's in the studio working on a follow-up album to her Grammy-nominated 2017 breakthrough, Girl Going Nowhere. So, here she comes. Garth Brooks is one of country music's living icons, a member of the Country Music Hall of Fame and the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Brooks is the top-selling solo artist in U.S. history. He broke into the genre in 1989 with early hits including Much Too Young and If Tomorrow Never Comes and brought a fire to stage performances the genre hadn't seen. And country music, thankfully, never recovered. Garth? You're going to stand? Sorry, man. I just don't sit very well. Is that cool? (laughs) Can we do that? All right. What's that? I can do that or I can tape it on your head, one of the two. It's not really much difference in the height. (laughs) No, y'all. I'm sitting. Like, I'm sorry. Do it. Yeah. No. Hey, we love you back. Fall over that chair. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. I love you, too. So tonight we're going to talk about songwriting. Um, 
Do you all remember the first time that you realized songwriters were a thing? Like, for me, it's when I saw the credit on CMT when I was watching music videos when I was a kid. It's like, when did you realize that songwriters existed? Uh, Cheryl and Sharon White. Um, I would listen to, I'm hanging around, hoping you get lonely from the time I was small. It's not weird at all that Mr. Skaggs is in the front row right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I would sing all that stuff. And then uh, I heard one of their songs sung by someone else one time at a bluegrass festival. And I asked my mom, that's not the right person. She said, no, that's not the songwriter. That's just another person covering the song. And that's why I knew there was a difference between the two. So cool. Yeah, for me, um, you know, when you grow up on Hank Williams and, and Merle Haggard, those guys did write all their stuff. But then you fall in love with George Strait, and George Strait's one of those guys that's, that's uh, not necessarily known as a writer. So all of a sudden, here comes Dean Dillon, here comes Whitey, here comes all those guys. And you go, who are those guys? And so, unfortunately for me, uh, I'm, a, I'm a late bloomer and everything. It was probably 18, 19, 20 years old before I ever realized that the people singing it weren't the people that were writing it. So what made you want to write your first song? Like, what happened? I just sang all the time. What I, I mean, I was like knee-high to a grasshopper and sang everything I did, including going to the mailbox. I came back with a song called Tweet Tweet on Me about a bird that I had a near miss with its droppings. <laughs> and my mother never discouraged that. She was just sort of always, that was nice, honey. <laughs> so I just, I just always did it. And I think I was probably, I was 12. I was at my grandparents' house and sitting in the back den with my guitar and made up a thing and I sang it. And my mom said, where'd you get that? And I said, I, I just wrote it. And she went, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same way. You just, you just write your own stuff. You just feel it's like uh, uh, the greatest thing because people, how many people in here are in, are in here for music? I mean, they're your whole thing. Okay, so you get it. You get it. You can't live without it. It's what you do. And so I think it just, you just start writing things that mean something to you and things that you can remember and songs that you play. And the whole time, what you're trying to do is write something as good as James Taylor writes or somebody that you love to death, Dan Fogelberg, these writers that you grew up with. So those are the guys that uh, you try to emulate or imitate. And uh, so I think you just start, you just start writing because I really don't think you have a choice. Yeah, I think it's something that's going to crawl out of you in one way or another. And, it, and maybe if it wasn't songwriting, it might have been painting or something. Um, I couldn't paint myself out of a, out of a round room. Um, but I think it was just one of those things that kind of shows, it chooses you, and that creativity comes through however it's, it's going to crawl out either way. Yeah, and thank God we got to be two that were chosen. That's yeah. very sweet. So... What was the first thing you wrote that you were proud of? Do you remember? <laughs> you had to throw that last part in there. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you about the worst song you wrote next, so you can, you know, we'll just split the difference. Oh, well, that's sort of the same. Because um, <laughs> the first one, you write it, you know, top to bottom, and you're like, look what I have done. And then you listen to it later when you're a little bit older, and you're like, that was garbage. <laughs> I was happy when I, when I made, I still have songs where I go, yeah, I should sleep on that one. <laughs> Today, Jelly Side Down seems like a great title. Tomorrow, I might not like it. Um, I, I was really proud when I wrote that first one and, and sang it to my grandparents and my mother. 
And, um, and then I go back and, and listen to it now or try to sing it now and realize how ridiculous it was. But I was just proud having something top to bottom that was a cohesive thought and the chorus sounded the same. The verses were the same melody. Finally, <laughs> you get halfway through and not know, I wouldn't remember what I did. So I'd have, you know, just a crappy song. Um, but I was proud of that for the very first time. Uh, there are, you've been over to the studio. So uh, Jack Clement has a list up there, the top 10 things you do. And two of those top 10 things is write the best song you can think of, write the worst song you can think of. And I think the whole thing is just to write. What makes them good or great are the people that listen to them and how they, they reflect back on them. Another thing that makes a good song great is a great publisher. Somebody that will push you to go, it's good, now go back and make it great. Or a producer that will do that. Then when it comes to writing music, never fear having to rewrite music. Because as much as we are writers, a real writer rewrites. Re you back up, write it again, back up, write it again, back up, write it again. It becomes so rhythmic, so smooth that it's like breathing in and out for you. So as far as writing good stuff, bad stuff, it's all great stuff. It's just what you choose to release and, and, and the timing of everything. There is stuff, if we released a song called Papa Love Mama right now, if we released it right now, country radio would go, Poor Garth, he's scraping the bottom of the barrel, you know? He would, but so it's just, it's a lot of it's about timing too when you bring things up. So, Ashley, you, like songwriting was your first love, mm -hmm. right? Talk about that discovery and, and finding that well within yourself for a minute, because that's such a part of your story, right? Yeah, my siblings didn't want to play with me. Um, but I could play guitar and they couldn't. So I was never really that bored or, or upset that they didn't want to play with me. And it just, I really just entertained myself. Um, and that included making faces in the mirror, you know, like, like Jim Carrey did when he was younger and things. Just, um, just trying to entertain myself. And then I really realized that the stuff that I was making up, I mean, it was, it was green, but it wasn't all that different than the stuff that I grew up loving to sing. And so figuring out that I would never be bored again a day in my life was, and that'll make you tear up. Thinking back to that like Excalibur moment when you're looking at this, I had a K guitar. I found it under my bed yesterday, rearranging a guest room. And I went, I didn't think I still had this. And it's a crappy little, it, we got it at Thayer Music in Thayer, Missouri. It was probably you know, a $50 guitar. And, uh, but I fell in love with songwriting on that thing. Just learning how to play and sing at the same time was awesome. Mom told me on day three, I came in the kitchen crying, nine years old. I said, I can't play it and sing it at the same time. And she said, give it a week. <laughs> <laughs> Did you figure it out in a week? Yeah, Steel Rails. I figured out how to play and sing Steel Rails by Alison Krauss for the very first time. That and then it was Snowbird by Ann Murray were the two songs I learned to play first on the guitar. Wow. Garth, when did you... When did you decide, like what made you decide this is, songwriting is, is going to be a big part of my life, this is what I'm gonna. Well, I moved to this town to be a songwriter, I didn't move to this town to be an artist. Right. So uh, it was pretty cool, the night of the, I was lucky enough to get inducted into the Hall of Fame, that's the first thing that came out uh, uh, on the speech uh, from the guys that were giving us the award. And he said, Garth did not move here to be an artist. He can move here to be a songwriter. And he moved here with a song called Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old for George Strait. That's a whole reason. So that's, that was my thing. That's why I came here. And uh, 
it's, uh, it's pretty cool. You're going to hear me say this a lot tonight, and you're going to do this. Just look across the, the, the dinner table tonight and just do this, and you'll begin to know what this is. Everything that is a blessing is a curse. My daughter, Allie's here. She's going, oh, God, no, not this again. <laughs> everything that is a blessing is a curse, and everything that is a curse is a blessing. And the curse was George Strait didn't cut much too young to feel this damn old, and the blessing was it was my first single. So uh, it was pretty cool, but how the circle totally, how the circle totally completes itself and Garth ends up winning is the night of the Hall of Fame induction. They said, now he wrote this for George Strait, but George Strait didn't cut it and everybody laughed. And I, yeah, as, as, a, as an inductee, you never know what's getting ready to happen because it's your wife and the, the Hall of Fame putting together. But they said, tonight, singing much young to feel the stab, oh, please wait, welcome George Strait. <laughs> so, Finally got that one done. <laughs> so talk to me about your process of songwriting. Like, Ashley, how do you start a song? Like, how are you one of the people who schedules songwriting times and sits down and do it? Or these days, I have to schedule it. If you don't schedule it and carve a time out for it, there's no way it's going to get done. And, and sometimes even if you've got it scheduled and, and your heart is there and you're ready to do it, your mind still can't, you got to unload a trailer in 30 minutes or in two hours and you can't get your brain back. It takes a little bit. Um, but it's always different with everybody that I write with. Um, sometimes uh, people like Nicolette Hayford, she'll come in with two words and we'll play with those two words and see if that's something. But most of the time for me, uh, I just get in the room with, with my co-writer and we just spend 30 minutes catching up, kind of clear your brain out. Uh, and then while you're having that conversation, somebody's going to say something like, much too young to feel this damn old. And then one of you goes, and they hear that clue and they chase it. And then if that dog hunts, it hunts. If it doesn't, put it down and, and just keep looking for the next idea. 100%. And, and you have to leave your ego at the door. If you're not in there for best idea wins, no matter whose it is, I don't know why you're there. If you're there for that, then your ego is going to kind of rule everything, and that never works. It just never does. It might work for a while. So, uh, you know, it's like my buddies say, would you, rather be, would you rather suck as an athlete and play on a national championship team, or would you rather be a great athlete and, and not win national championships? And your buddy says, well, I'd rather suck and, and, and win national championships. Well, congratulations, you're halfway there, right? So that's what you do as a songwriter <laughs> is you... Keep up, people. So if you do as a songwriter, right? You do as a songwriter, you go in the room and you just write. And like she said, you'll be talking and someone will drop a fantastic line like, I fell for her like a turd from a tall horse. <laughs> the rest is history. You write that. You know, that's, that's what you do. Is that on the next Garth album? What's that? Is that on the next Garth yes. album? Yes. That it sounds is. like a title track yeah. to me. Well, it's yeah. actually it's actually at the very end, but ah. <laughs> <laughs> And for me, I only have two criteria when we sit down to write is and that's do we like it and do we believe it? Because if it can't just meet at least those two criteria, um, then I don't I don't even want to chase it cuz there's a Panera Bread up the road, and I yeah. go have me a lunch. So, Garth, you've been writing songs a little bit longer than Miss Ashley. How has, has your process changed over the years? And has technology 
as technology has advanced, has that changed the way that you create? Yeah, just for the record, I've been writing songs longer than Ashley's been born, so uh, <laughs> this is our trying to. Um, no, I think it's still, I think it still all starts with the seed of the song. And I'm, I'm the, I don't even know how to describe me, but when you talk about what a true songwriter is, you have her standing right here. That's the, that's the soul of everything, right? So I think the, I think the best thing is just the heart and soul of the song, whatever that is. And the idea, if you're a songwriter, you must write. So as an artist, one of the things you'll get, and I'm sure you're the same way, you'll get people writing for you, expecting you to cut what you're about to write. If you do that, you've already kind of put handcuffs on yourself. Just write, just write, have fun, enjoy it, write again, write again. And if you end up cutting them as an artist, you end up cutting that as an artist, but it is the soul of that song. It's your responsibility to birth that child and then protect that child and watch that child grow. So uh, I think that's the seed is, is everything. It's just sincerity, like she said. So who, Miss Ashley, who is your first songwriting mentor? Or maybe who, who do you feel like you've learned the most from? My first mentor, there, well, there were many since I grew up in a household where they listened to things like Christopherson and, and Towns Van Zandt. But my first uh, sat across from me mentor was Carl Jackson. I was uh, 12-ish, I think. Um, Mom brought me down to Spigma for the first time. And if you're not familiar with those letters all smushed together, uh, bluegrass. And we were in this room, we were watching the Cox family, and Mom keeps looking at me and doing her eyes over to the right. I kept going, what? She's like, look, I look. Is that Carl Jackson? She said, that's Carl Jackson. She said, bump into him. <laughs> bump. He said, hello. Well, we struck up a conversation. He, he didn't have to take time with a 12-year-old uh, who wanted to play him something that she made up, but he did. He took us back to a room at the, at the Sheridan Music City, sat down, Sammy Sheeler was on bass. We just we sat there and jammed, and I had this jam session with Carl Jackson, and he said, I really like that song you played me. I wrote one a couple days ago, and he played that song for me that night. It was called Eugene and Diane. To, to this day, one of my favorite songs of all time. And I was just like, man. So I would keep in contact with him. And he, I would send him cassette tapes, and he'd say, it sounds great, keep writing, sounds great, keep writing. Do me two things, get done with school and move to town. So I did. I wound up quitting school. We wound up dropping out of college and moving to town, but Carl Jackson's the answer. Amen. I love it. So, Mr. Garth, tell us about your, your songwriting mentor. You and I have had this conversation before. Oh, well, you've got to understand, on the last of six kids, five boys and one girl, but that one girl was Superman. She could kick all of our asses. She was tougher than all of us. She was a better athlete than all of us. She played guitar better than all of us, sang better than all of us. So she was like the first mentor as far as a songwriter goes. My mom was an incredible vocalist. So uh, I got two very strong women. I got a dad that taught me how to play guitar. So it was kind of a family thing. So those are your early mentors. But when the older brothers bring in James Taylor's Mudslide Slim record, you wanna, you wanna talk about your songwriting mentor right there. You know, when you, when you get to sit there and, and get to hear, you know, deep greens and blues are the colors I choose. Won't you let me go down in my dreams and rock a by sweet baby James. You're just like, oh my God, right? So those are beautiful things. Um, and then I got turned on to uh, a guy named Dan Fogelberg when I was in junior high or high school. 
And you talk about, you talk about, you know, cause people great, there's a songwriting book that I write, I saved my money for when I was in college, got it. And the opening page said, if you think songwriting is poetry put to music, you don't have a clue what songwriting is. I paid a lot of money for that book. I walked over and put it in the trash. Because if you read Fogelberg's stuff just on an album lyric by itself, it stands as poetry. And it's very rhythmic. And it's like, uh, what is it? Uh, the candles glistened and the water gleamed. She drew a bath and the window steamed. She looked like every woman ever dreamed in the heart of a lonely man. Now you sing that in college, you're not going home alone. That's all I'm telling you. That's fun. I love that. So sorry. <laughs> I'm just glad he has a great sense of humor because it's not terrifying at all to stand next to a giant like that at all, with Ricky Skaggs looking at you. <laughs> Mom said, "Tay, hey, last time we were at the opera, she, she said, well, tell, she said, well, tell Rick, yeah, I said, hey. He said, hey, Mom. I, I was it. raised around two women exactly like this. I do not feel sorry for this individual <laughs> at all. <laughs> she can hold her own with anybody. Thank you. <laughs> so... You're writing a song. You're excited about it. You like what's happening. You get stuck. What do you do? What was that again? You get stuck. You're, in the, you're writing a song. You're super excited about it. You get stuck. What, what do you do? Um, what, I, what I can't do is try to turn a turd into a tulip. <laughs> um, it's, it's going great. It's going great and going great. And you're like, dang it. Screwed the pooch. Because then, then you might hate it and you might never visit it again. Um, with different writers, it's different things. I might feign an illness and leave the room. Um, I might say, I don't want this to turn into garbage. Can we stop right now? Or just say, we should revisit this another time. And if it's, um, I talk about her a lot because we write together a lot. If it's Nicolette Hayford, I'll go, is this trash? And she might even rip the whole page out of the notebook and go, that one was trash. Um, but if you get stuck and you, you want to get unstuck, just put it down for a minute. That's what I have to do. Uh, if, if I can think about it later, I haven't thought about it in just a few, a few days, and then I get that melody back in my head, I and mean, maybe it was one word that wasn't quite sticking right, that's probably just the wrong word. Or you may have stubborned your ass into the wrong rhyme, and things started going downhill, and you said, that I just trace it back and go, that's where I stopped liking it. Um, you can also grab, uh, you can stick your hand out and tag somebody, and say, we got this, that we got started. We don't think we can get over the hump without you, and, and that's always safe to do. There's no shame in doing that, because it is about the song, the, the word gets in the line and the line gets in the song and the song gets on the record. So you gotta do what's best for that. It's great, she, she covered everything. Wise beyond your years too, from somebody that's, that's lived this long. And if I'd have known that at your age, I, I wonder what I could have done. It's, uh, it's uh, the, my favorite part is the tag part. And one of the greatest stories for me, writing with Pat Alger, who Pat Alger is a phenomenal songwriter himself. So. We're sitting here writing this song, and he goes, okay, tell me a little bit more about it, okay? So you met this girl that you went to high school with, and you were, and you were married, and you guys came back to a hometown football game, and now you're face-to-face -face with her. I said, yeah, and we wrote the whole song except what the hook was. 
And Larry Bastian was in town, thank God. Larry Bastian's one of the greatest songwriters ever, one of the greatest mentors ever. And Pat Alger, who has no ego, said, I said, man, can I pass this by Larry just to see what he thinks and if he contributes? He goes, oh, sure. And Larry Bastian looks at me after I tells him and he goes, oh, that's simple. <laughs> and me being who I am go, oh, really, that's simple, <laughs> right? He says, yeah, it's unanswered prayers. And I said, why is it unanswered prayers? He said, I, I, I shit you not, this is what he said. <laughs> he said, because some of life's greatest gifts, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I can tell you this, if you give me a multiple choice, Garth Brooks, would you rather have, A, unanswered prayers not in your career at all because your name is not a writer on it, or would you rather have it in your career whether you're a writer on it or not? I'm picking B, right? And just, I was lucky enough to be in the room when the other guys were doing the work, and that was, that was, uh, that was a good thing. So, that's one of those tag team kind of things. Miss Ashley... Tell our, tell our friends here the story behind Girl Going Nowhere, because I bet a bunch of them can relate. Thanks. Um, I'm very, very careful when I speak about us writing Girl Going Nowhere, because there were so many factors that day. Um, Guy Clark passed away. I was a wreck. The only reason we had the conversation we had, Jeremy Bussey and I, was because my makeup was everywhere. I'd never met him before, and I wanted to write with him. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm such a mess. And he said, well, get your shit together and go wipe your face off. Come back and let's sit down. He said, I'm from Alabama, where are you from? I said, I'm from Arkansas. He said, how old were you when you moved to town? I said, I don't know, I was 23. We started chit-chatting and sharing multiple stories about what it was like when you moved to town. And so essentially, you've told your friends and loved ones and neighbors that you're gonna move to a city you've never lived in and be around no one you know, and you're gonna make stuff up and you expect someone to pay you to do that. I understand why they do that. Look, they put their chin down and their eyes up, because you're an idiot. <laughs> And there are some great responses from, from my mother who said, it's great, I don't care if you want to be a unicorn, go be a unicorn. Um, but as we shared our stories, I'm very careful when I talk about this because um, I don't want to say this, this individual's name. I would hate for anyone on the internet to troll her. That would be hilarious. <laughs> um, I also don't say her name. I don't want her to gain any fame or notoriety or joy in her life from being a negative old bat. I was in an algebra class, and uh, she was going around the room, very small classroom. She's going around the room asking each individual, what are you gonna do for a living? What are you gonna do when you grow up? I still don't understand that question. But she came to me and said, and Ms. McBride, what will you do to make a living? And I said, I'm gonna move to Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm gonna write songs, and they're gonna be on the radio. And I don't need algebra to do it. <laughs> And I mean, in all fairness, did you use algebra today? <laughs> and um, she, her response to me wanting to pursue my dreams was, <clears throat> that is stupid, that won't happen, and remember where you're from, and have a good backup plan. And I thought those were some really strange statements. Uh, number one was probably true, like I said, it was an algebra class. 
that won't happen. Well, that ain't up to her. Uh, know where you're from? I'm from Arkansas. So is Johnny Cash and Glenn Campbell and Colin Ray. I mean, like, turn your radio on. Um, and so that, it really stuck with me. And uh, it, was, it was a gift to be able to write that song. I think, uh, I think it was a gift for all of us when we got to see you perform that on the ACM Awards this year. That was, a, I think, a super special moment for any little girl who was ever told, you can't do that. And she's still but. kicking. She's still around. <laughs> she doesn't teach anymore, which I'm pretty shocked about. Um, but I hope her kids put her in a nice home. I really do. <laughs> Mr. Brooks, do you oh, have... Oh, you want me to follow that? <laughs> yeah. I don't really know how, but, but yeah. No, um, do you have similar stories? Like, we've never talked about that before. Yeah, I man, you got to remember that I raised three of these. This is my daughter over here. And by the way, I know you already know this, but you are my youngest daughter's idol and hero. She worships you, and she's picked a good I'm one. I'm her to biggest watch. fan. So, so, yeah, this is going to be fun. I'm not going to use the mic on this. Garth stepped off the mic and mimed shooting an arrow to punctuate that all of the criticism Ashley received only propelled her forward. Everything that is a blessing is a curse, people. So those people that are in your corner for me, Bob Doyle, Kent Blazy, those guys that started with you very first, that cheer so hard for you, they are so important. God above is so important. At the same time, you need those people pissing you off too, you know? You need those people that's gonna light that fire inside of you that goes, oh yeah, well watch this. And I don't have a clue how this girl was raised, but I bet you she's one of the most hard-headed, stubborn girls you ever met, and it pays off for her that way. I'm sure it does. Thank you. Because that's my daughters. Yeah. <laughs> they have their own opinions. What is up with that? <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by The Tennessean, part of the USA Today Network in partnership with Belmont University, where students can study music and music business in the heart of Music City. Or they can choose from more than 95 other fields of study. To learn more, visit belmont.edu. We hope you are enjoying our Country Mile podcast. Don't miss your all-access pass to country music news with the Tennesseans mobile app. Download the Tennessean app for free in the App Store or Google Play Store. So your baby, who's, who's here tonight, comes to you and says, Dad, I want to... No. <laughs> there it is. And she listened, right? She does what she did when I tried to dress her. She did, Dad, I got this. That's what she says, but... You're living with Trisha Yearwood. You're living with Garth Brooks, right? So you can't get the same speech I got from my folks of, that's not a real job, right? <laughs> so what do you tell her? All you can tell her is the truth. Mm-hmm. Talent, everybody you're going to meet has talent. What's going to separate you from them? Luck, work ethic and how much you're not going to take no for a final answer. Mm -hmm. That's basically the three things. Drive. (laughs) 
Did Garth, did your parents tell you this wasn't a real job? Did they say that? No, my mom was a singer. She wanted this to happen and she believed wholeheartedly in it. My dad, because he loved me, says, no, you're not gonna quit school and go there. You're gonna get a degree so when you walk into these offices, you don't have to take what the crap they're offering you if it's not any good, you can go get a job. And as much as I didn't appreciate that at the time, I thank God and my father every day uh, for that right there because you do, you walk in, you have your degree, still to this day, if you don't want to do what somebody's doing, they're paying you a lot of money, just send the check back, you know, and just, uh, I haven't forgot how to work for a living if I have to, but thank God the last time I worked for a living, I was roughing houses when I was 23, you know, been doing this ever since. Love it. So, as artists who write your own songs, can you talk about how working with other songwriters is important? Why other songwriters, it's important to listen to songs from other people when you're stacking your album. Writing with other folks is great. I'm not an athlete. I can't make um, athlete analogies and stuff, but I would imagine playing tennis by yourself is pretty boring. <laughs> Though I do love to write by myself. To, to collaborate with somebody is not only necessary, but a really beautiful thing. The trust that there is. Um, I'm betting on you and you're betting on me. And we trusting each other to create whatever the best thing is for that day is really important. But what I learned making the second record, um, I've never been opposed to outside cuts. I just had just been writing my own stuff. And um, I've never sat down and had like a pitch meeting where people say, we think you should do this song. Um, I feel that would be kind of strange. But I would come across songs and things that I didn't write, things by Randall Clay or, or Nicolette Hafer that, that I was just like, man, that song deserves to be cut. And if I can't sing the pants off it, I'm sure gonna try. And I may not be the right voice for it, but um, and there were some that I, that I came across that I was like, mm, maybe somebody um, with a softer personality um, would just sound better. Well, I always sound like I'm gonna, I sing it with a hammer on it. And some people would maybe like a basket on in front of a bicycle sound, you know? And, um, but, but cutting outside songs was really important to me because just like we, we talked about, the, the right word is, the, you know, the right rhyme gets in the line, the right line gets into the song, and the right song gets on the record. And um, when you've got 30 or 40 songs that, that we were choosing from, it was a lot easier than I thought it would be because there would be two songs that I really liked, I really loved, not necessarily in the same lane, but close, either groove-wise or structure-wise. All you got to do is play them one right after the other. The stronger one's going to stick its hand up even if it's painful to, to not put something out. There's two songs I really wanted on this second record that um, I didn't even write, and they didn't make it. And that's all right, because the other songs that I put them next to were like, <laughs> like all right, it just doesn't make it, that's okay. So will they make it somewhere eventually, you think? What's that? Will they make it somewhere eventually? Oh yeah, there's no way I'm not releasing those two songs. I don't care if I have to go have somebody record me busking doing it, I'm putting that out there. <laughs> Did I say, is busking a bad word? Did I just use a word I'm not supposed to use? No, no. <laughs> I'd never thought I could love you more, but I did. <laughs> While Garth spent much of his stage time praising Ashley, his multiple current projects are significant. On Saturday, November 16th, Garth will wrap the 2019 leg of his stadium tour in Knoxville, Tennessee at Neyland Stadium, which holds more than 100,000 people. 
Legacy, his seven final album and seven CD bonus package, will arrive in stores for Black Friday. Legacy is already available at select locations, including Best Buy, Bass Pro, and Cracker Barrel. Garth's two-night A&E biography, The Road I'm On, will premiere December 2nd and 3rd on the network. And, and people think that artists get to hang out together all the time. And the truth is, we don't. The fact that that's Ricky F. Skaggs right there on the front is, is, is know. you know, it's just one of those things you never get used to. But I do want, since we never get to talk to each other, I'm not trying to kiss your ass, especially not in front of these people, but I do want to tell you, Alan Reynolds is a mentor and a, and a second father to me. I love this man. He produced some of the greatest vocals ever from Emmylou Harris, uh, Crystal Gale, Kathy Matea. He's worked with Trisha Yearwood. I'm telling you right now, he would worship everything that you are saying. You're so wise beyond your years on the fact of, is a great song a great song for you? And the truth is, look at the other side of it too. Are you, if you truly love the music, are you doing this song the best service by not being the best singer for it? So I can't imagine the song, there's songs that I wish I had in my catalog. One of them was, I'd tell it from the third, I'd tell it from the third person. I'd do it like Springsteen would do it. If he took it on a real working thing of, he was working to college. On her grandpa's farm. And I would cut strawberry wine in a heart because it's one of the greatest songs ever written right there. But the fact that Dina Carter sang the living crap out of that song, that was a moment in time. It was what was best for the song. And that song will live forever because of the great songwriting and the great record that those guys cut on it. I can think of Julie Roberts. Uh, I sure hate to break down here. My God, another great written song that was done by uh, a person that might not have had 50 number ones. But I'm telling you right now, no matter who remakes it in the future, I'm going to go out on a limb and say no one's going to do a better version than that, man. That's, so that's, I think the reason for the song and the artist is a real thing. As an artist, it's your responsibility to take on and leave your ego and say, am I the best thing for this song or is this song the best thing for me? So, Garth, you mentioned Alan Reynolds, and you told me once that you got a great education from Mr. Reynolds on how to write, on how to write songs. Yeah, we, uh, Pat Alger and I were working on a song called That Summer, and it started out at a party on a, on a, at a beach. And uh, uh, all I know was the first verse talked about, um, uh, you know, she was older than me. We didn't have a lot in common, but the one thing I'm sure of is neither one of us wanted her to leave with who she came with. And that was the whole gin. That's how that summer was going to be. And, and Alan Reynolds didn't like the characters at all. And so he sent us back up to our room like little kids. And if you know Alan Reynolds, he's the most kindest, gentlest guy on the planet. But when he gets up on his tip, when he does this and pulls on his shirt, he's pissed, right? <laughs> and he's one of those guys that's just got one of those authoritarian kind of feels that you just don't want to upset, you don't want to, you don't want to disappoint him. That's a fair thing. So he sent us back to our room like little kids. And as we're walking up, Pat goes, you got any more of those stories from home? And I said, well, I did work with this girl once in the wheat fields, Oklahoma. And that's where it started. So uh, I think that's it. I think you got to love your characters. And like you said, do you believe it? And are you writing it 
like you sang Fogelberg in college, are you writing it just to get the word I can't use, right? right? Or are you writing this as a true songwriter that has to get this out of you? And so I think when you follow the, the second one, it's the less easy path, but when you follow it, the reward is, is much greater. Can you, can you talk about, let me back up. We did an interview, um, Garth and I, earlier this year about songwriting with uh, Miss Searwood. And I thought it was fascinating because Garth talked about how, how stories, just telling stories and thinking about what you wanted to say was you know, as important as just the two words on the end that wrapped it all together. And I thought that was fascinating because I think most people, when they listen to songs, like they're listening, they're listening for that button, that thing on the end that loops it around. And you were talking about how that's the kind of the easy part when you have the rest. Do you remember that? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, no offense to anybody, but I don't think the monitors are on, so I'm oh, kind of no. hearing it's you out there. Really hard to hear. <laughs> At this point is when we all acknowledge the fact we couldn't hear each other for half of the podcast. Let me translate. Uh, we were talking about Trisha Yearwood's new music and how Trisha Yearwood doesn't think she's a songwriter. Trust me, the people that applauded, yes, if you live with her, it's even more amazing. Um, she's, uh, she doesn't think of herself as a songwriter. Trisha Yearwood is a fabulous songwriter. Where Trisha Yearwood gets held up is making things rhyme. The fact that they make things rhyme is more convenient for us as a listener. And I know it's kind of a stipulation, but uh, you've been talking in your sleep from Crystal Gale, uh, multi-week number one, doesn't have one rhyming line in it. It's all how it's performed, it's all how it's written. So with her, it's just, come on, man. Just tell me how you're feeling inside. Depend on your co-writer to make it rhyme if you, if you must do that. And then, I was raised uh, by Dwayne Blackwell and Larry Bastian, who were what I would call pure rhymist. They will not rhyme line, L-I-N-E, with dime, D-I-M-E. It's gotta be lime, dime, rhyme, dime. That's how they are. And it's just, you know that going into the session, so if you bitch about it, <laughs> you're not gonna get any help, you know? And, uh, it's, and, and they work really, really hard on it now. Dwayne Blackwell wrote Friends in Low Places. Blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots and ruined your black tie affair. The last one to show, the last one to know I was the last one you thought you'd see there. I saw the surprise and the fear in his eyes when I took his glass of champagne. I toasted you, said, honey, we may be through, but you'll never hear me complain. All pure rhymes, that's what these guys do. Yeah, I'm not that talented. <laughs> but that's it. I, I, I think the thing is to get the message across. And then the beautiful thing that this woman does as good as anybody that's ever been in this town is her stuff can be told by men, by women, as a third person. Those are the great writers. You can do that. And I, I've enjoyed being in front of a crowd that was a very rowdy crowd that I couldn't get to listen to me when I talked because all they want to do is just hear music, hear music. And so you set it down and slow it down. And the last thing they want to hear is a song they've never heard before. And you step up that mic and they say, don't waste your life behind that guitar. 
Oh my God, they think, holy cow, that's the greatest song you've ever written. And don't worry, I look at them and I go, thank you very much. <laughs> no, we always, we always say that's Ashley's song and everybody worships that song. And, and to write a song that men or women can sing, that's phenomenal right there. Thank you. Thank you. So we just learned that Garth Brooks is covering your songs. Like that seems neat. Is that neat? I think neat's probably a little, a little mild. A little mild, yeah. <laughs> Intriguing, definitely. Uh, I found out at 2.30 in the morning, my phone went off twice in a row. Ba-ba-ding, ba-ba-ding. And I was like, who the... Picked it up. It's from a friend of mine, a songwriter friend of mine, Shelly Tackett. And uh, a friend of hers is at this show, and I think the very first time was Spokane. And I, it's like sideways, obviously, this person doesn't know how to use an iPhone. Like, how is this, why am I looking at a light show right now? Holy sh <laughs> Garth is doing Girl Going Nowhere. And, and, and I know that he always says this is Ashley's song because everybody who's ever had my phone number who goes to your shows sends me the clip every single time. <laughs> I love it. They say, wait until second 38 where he says your name. And I'm like, Thanks for doing, one of, the, one of the most important things about songs, when a song is special to you, is for the, to reach people. And so I'm singing it to crowds this size. He's singing it to crowds. <laughs> and that's the most important thing, um, is thank you for spreading Are you kidding me? a message to way more people than I can touch no. so far. I'll say the same thing to you. I'll say to all the songwriters of the songs I sing, thank you for making me a better artist in front of all those people, too. That's very sweet. That's good stuff out there. So, a, a touring artist's joy, your most worship thing and your most personal thing with your band is your sound check, always. Because at the sound check, you can play anything you want. And a lot of times it's not what people are expecting, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, bitty baby with your high heels on. <laughs> you can do anything you want at Soundcheck. And when I think one of the greatest songwriters to ever grace music is a girl right here in town named Karen Rochelle. Oh, if you've yeah. ever heard her stuff, it's amazing. And when Karen Rochelle comes up to you and goes, hey, would you play Guy Going Nowhere for me? That's that's huge. So not only do the people want to hear it, but the people who make music want to hear it too. That, there is no curse to that. That is a blessing upon a blessing right there. <laughs> so Ashley, what, do you, what have you heard, maybe even lately, that, that you wish you'd written? I've said it before and I'll say it again. Raven is the color of her long curly hair. Red is the dress that she knows how to wear. Bluest eyes I've ever seen. Maybe just a touch of green. Oh, she could steal most any woman's man. And this would be a real good time to hold my hand. Oh, 
I've written a lot of songs I liked, and I've heard a lot of songs I liked, and I heard that one, and I got so mad. And she says, reach out with your fingers and get them tangled up in mine. And I was like, mm. <laughs> should have had that. <laughs> should have had that. I just did some background vocals for, for a friend of mine who's a terrific songwriter, great vocalist. I can't wait for her to, to really bust things open. Um, I just did some background vocals for her on a song that it was also a subject. It was, she said it in a way I hadn't said it. And I was like, dang it. Why didn't you all call me? You know I was in town close by. You could have called and said, here's what we're thinking as a setup. And I'd have, I'd have done it. When that song comes out, I'll tell you which one it was. Well, now, I believe you have a song on this Sherwood's next album. Don't I you? do. And as I said that, I thought, oh, crap. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about that. Song. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it. Garth? I was hoping you were about to ask me, is there a song recently that you had wished you had written? Uh, because yes. I would tell you about a song that my wife just cut. Yes. From Miss Ashley. It just, oh my God, talking about it. She goes, there's a song this girl's written about her dad. Well, Miss Yearwood worships her father. As much as she wants to say I'm the man of her life, I'm second and I'm fine with that because daughters worshiping their dads is okay uh, with me. Uh, but she worshiped Jack Yearwood. And when she sang this song, when she brought it home, when they first tracked it, my wife does not cry. So if she cries, something's really wrong or something's really great. And her voice cracked in it, which made me start crying because she's the sweetest thing on the planet that should never have a, 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 tear, a painful tear. But she hits this chorus. Um, he'd see through a lie like an old screen door. He taught me how to hunt. And how to love the Lord. He carried a Bible and a 44. And they just don't make them like that no more. Oh. oh. So, yeah. But I'm, I'm sure it's like, I'm sure it's like sports. You have athletes that have been in it for 10, 15 years, like football, and you got this new kid that comes in that can play on the same level as everybody already playing. When you got here, you were on that level. So it's, it's cool to watch. It's not, it's not strange. It's cool to watch. You're just seeing some over by, over by there that's running the same speed at you at any time could leave you behind. She just happens to be 40 years younger than you. That's it. Right? And you're sitting over there going, wow, this is cool. So it's, um, it's neat to view. The reason I'm standing here, there's a gentleman in here. If it wasn't for George Strait, Randy Travis, Ricky Skaggs, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be standing here at all. And I can tell you this, to get inspiration, and Ricky would tell you the same thing, to get inspiration from those people that came after you is very rare, but... You seem to be rare in everything that you do. I, I gain a lot of inspiration from you. I think I'll just carry him around everywhere, so I'll just have good days all the time. <laughs> uh, when they told me that, that Miss Yearwood was thinking about cutting a Bible in a 44, um, I was like, okay, I'm not going to get my hopes up. You know, a hold is a hold, and they pay nothing. 
And uh, I thought, man, if, to hear her voice on that would really be something special. And then I found out on Twitter she cut it. <laughs> and it was like a year later. And I saw a tweet and I was like, hang on. And then I found out, yeah, she really did cut it. And I still haven't gotten to hear it yet because when they got together to listen to it, I was making my second record and, and we couldn't leave. Um, so I... <laughs> oh, it's great. Thank you. Mr. Skagg says it's great. I it's trust that. It's on my that. computer in the back. I can pick you up. <laughs> I'm very excited about it. And I got to talk to Miss Yearwood about it too. Um, over CMA Fest when we had some time together. We were bonding over Lizzo lyrics. And... Um, <laughs> And, uh, and we got to talking about her cutting that song, and, and she was able to change enough of the lyrics to fit Jack, to fit Mr. Yearwood, which is, I mean, it was going to be wonderful with the finest voice to ever grace country music anyway, but for her to take it and really let it be personal, um, I just can't wait to hear it. It's special. It's special. So... What's your advice? Like, I know you have a heart out, and, and Garth doesn't, so we'll probably hang out after you have to go run. And That's because she's Elvis. She's Elvis. Yes. Ashley has a, has a commitment across town at the Ryman where she's going to go be a superstar tonight and uh, sing, uh, Thank you. sing for Brooks and Dunn. That's just sparkling track from their, from their uh, Reloaded album. But what's your advice to, to people sitting in this room who you know, may be here to learn how to write songs, who may be here to chase their dreams. What would you tell them? Well, Bird Burton, I was still living in Memphis at the time. Bird Burton, uh, watch me name drop, was the uh, lead guitar player for the Amazing Rhythm Aces. And so when you heard, third rate romance, low rendezvous, all those cool telly riffs were, were Bird Burton. And he was in Memphis, and I don't remember how I became, at, I was at a table with him at Cracker Barrel. Good things happen at Cracker Barrel. Um, and I told him I was thinking about leaving. I was going to drop out of school, and I was going to leave Memphis and, and move to Nashville. And he said, well, I can tell you a couple things, uh, two things. Number one is you must be present to win. Amen. And number two is the guy that quit last won. And I was like, the guy that quits last wins. Okay, well, can't be that hard. Um, and then I got here, and it, and it was, woo, trying to play in bars here versus trying to play in bars in Memphis, you know, was, was crazy. Um, I did it. I'm going to do it whether it pays anything or not. And I did, because it didn't. <laughs> but I was always, you know, ready, ready to write a song. And so always be ready to write a song. And if that's what you want to do, then do it. And you're going to do it not because you think you might be good at it, but because you think you might die if you don't get to. Whew, I can't cry because Dana just did my makeup and we don't have it in the truck. <laughs> whatever that feeling is, whatever makes you do that, do that. Yeah. It's not, whew, don't do it. It's not, too, it's not too early to start and it's not too late. Amen. I'm old. Amen. You're not old. Well, <laughs> that, I, thank you. I can get myself out of that cheer by somebody said it not too long ago at a festival. And I won't tell you who he plays for or, or what instrument he plays, Keith. And um. And he was talking to my bass player, and he said, I don't think being in town for 11 years is anything to brag about, and being 36 years old and just now getting a single is anything to brag about. And I said, I do. <laughs> Mess around and find out. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's 
Quick, somebody throw a football. Like, I don't understand. Tell you what, man. <sighs> this town, this town needs more balls like you've got. <laughs> Garth just said balls on my podcast. I'll say it. Balls. It's like a whole pool table's worth, you know. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Miss Ashley, we'll release you so you can go sing at the Ryman. But we yeah, really... thank you so much for letting me be a part of this today. Because it's... there with you. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Need your notes? No, I think we're off the notes now. Yeah. Yep. So, true story, if we're sitting up here, we can kind of hear what each other is saying, but not right. a whole lot. So if it's made sense right now, it's truly been a gift. But now uh, I think we're good to go. I think so. So we're having a party now? Is that what you said? This is it. Now, now you're going to hear from someone who maybe isn't so sincere. Someone's a little more demonic. A little more marketing-based, commercial-based. Should I go back over Yeah, there? you might want to. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, what she said about... If you're here because you are a songwriter, let me be the first one to tell you, you're not crazy. You're not, man. It's there. It's all there. Now, things have changed. We talk about this all the time. Things, being a songwriter now is a lot tougher than it was being a songwriter when I got here. And there's not a lot of people that make a lot of money being a songwriter, and if they are, they're kind of the guys, you know, uh, in my time. So I'm going to give you a little bit of my day. In my day, if you go to the ASCAP Awards, the Songwriter of the Year might have two number ones. Maybe that was a big year. Maybe three number ones. Uh, you know, just passed a banner down on Music Row congratulating somebody on their 28th number one. And as much as I wish my name was on there, one of the curses of that blessing is does the music then begin to kind of sound the same no matter whose name is on there? If it's Ricky Skaggs' name, it's my name, or the, is the music gonna start to sound the same? There's a great possibility of that. So one of the blessings and curses of being a successful songwriter is sometimes people will cut your stuff because your name's on it. It doesn't matter, I mean, for me, short of, you know, I've always said this, short of Charles Manson or Adolf Hitler, I don't care who my, co-writers are. I don't care what the other names are on there if I'm lucky enough to get to write. Um, I just want to write something that makes a difference uh, in people's lives. So 
you're going to get this temptation your whole time here. There are no shortcuts, trust me. And anything that takes time will stand the test of time. So do not, do not. Thomas Edison said it best. He says a lot of people miss opportunity because opportunity looks a hell of a lot like work and is dressed in overalls. That's it. So if it's going to be a hard climb, thank God that you're the one getting to climb it because the view from when you get to the top is irreplaceable. So whatever that crazy dream is, don't let somebody talk you out of it because that's their life. This is your life. If you're a songwriter, get ready for pure hell, but get ready for pure heaven uh, at the same time, man. It's, it's fabulous. So we need new songs in this town. We need new writers. If that ever dries up, the music is dead. And people, you know, I'm sure there are people big big companies. I work for one. I'm signed to one. I'm sure they think the music will never die, but trust me, without songwriters, it's dead without songwriters. It just is. So you mentioned, you know, writing songs that, you know, are commercial. If you write songs, you want people to get to hear them. You want them to be played. And you talked about how songs, it's really easy for songs to sound the same. So how do you strike that balance between writing a song that people want to hear and are open to hearing? Because maybe their ear is already trained to hear it a little bit because they've, that's what they've been listening to on the radio. 100%. With coming up with something new that doesn't repeat what's already been done. Yeah, well, Alan Reynolds, we're going, to t- we're going to reference him about two or three times on this because he was the king of, of uniqueness, of being yourself. He would say, be yourself. That way, if anything comes after you that remotely sounds like you, they're going to be viewed as a copycat. And if it doesn't work, at least you go down being true to yourself with this who you have to live with the rest of your life. All I ever wanted to be was George Strait. That's all I ever wanted. It would have been enough for me to be George Strait Jr. I love George. So in the first album, I'm singing like George Strait, and and, and Alan stops the session, and he goes, what are you doing? I said, well, (laughs) I want to be George. He goes, look, we've already got one of him, and nobody's going to do him better than him. He said, just be yourself. So his thing was, when you cut songs and you put them on a set list, is the song you're singing sound like anything you just sang or anything you're about to sing? He goes, that's my job. So his job was to make each song its own, very individual. And now when I look at that set list and I've got that summer, I'm in the middle of that summer and I go, wow, this doesn't sound anything like shameless at all. But it also doesn't sound like anything like the river that's coming next, right? So that's a beautiful thing. And then if you do find songs that do kind of mirror each other a little bit because you're in this for a long time, Um, So, more than a memory, shameless. Your job is to live separate those on the set list. And your job is to somehow, while you play them live, to put instruments on, instrumentation on them that might vary as well. And then uh, the new single, Dive Bar, it's it's got kind of the same uh, guitar kind of sound as Friends in Low Places, played by the same guy, Chris Lusinger. So you naturally have to separate those in your set list, but they're both kind of rowdy, fun sing-along things, so they're pretty easy to, to separate from each other. But I think that's also how you do it as an artist. And come on, man, there are going to be some things that do sound kind of alike, and uh, you're just going to have to work each song for the song's sake, and if they end up singing alike, then you've got to realize, you've got to 
say, do I release this? Because it, it definitely sounds like this. Are people going to say that? And so it's, um, you know, you're, you're going to make your own decisions as an artist and a producer on those things. So I was lucky enough to get to be in the room the day that Blake Shelton flew to Nashville uh, to record Dive Bar at Garth's studio. And it was interesting because he walked in the room and one of the first things he said was that guitar tone. Like, it's this. Yeah. And um, I don't know, that was, that was a really fun day. Can you, let's talk to people about that day and, and how that came about. It's fun. People think because you're in this business, you know each other. I don't know who Blake Shelton is. Worked with him on The Voice. Sweet guy. All I know is this guy is embarrassingly tall if you stand next to him. That's all I know, right? But it seems to be a good dude. Well, he walks in. You can vouch for this. He walks in. I look at him and start laughing. Matt, the engineer, comes up and goes, he's wearing work boots, Wranglers, a hoodie, and a ball cap. And I'm going, yeah, we were raised 40 miles from each other. That's what people in Oklahoma, this is what we wear. It's the uniform. And Matt goes, I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss the memo on it, you know, what we were all wearing today. But right from that start it seemed very relaxed. And then he's one of those guys, you know, when you work with other artists, we can stereotype all day long, but for me, sometimes stereotyping is a funny way to look at the truth kind of thing. So I'm not, and I don't know if we've got a diva. I don't know what we've got as far as a recording guy, because in our world, in my, in our world, guys, you show up, you show up on time, you show up prepared and you get your work done. You might enjoy the studio a thousand times, but the people around you might not enjoy it with you, right? So just be prepared to do your best. That's what you do. So he comes in. I said, what do you want to listen to it? He goes, no. He says, I think I'll just go in and sing it. And I was like, all right, that's cool. All right. <laughs> okay, Hoss, let's see how you do, right? And so he's first getting in there, and, and the first thing we notice is we're not sure that the microphone stand can go up high enough for this guy. Jiminy Christmas. So Matt gets him set up and he goes, what do you want me to do? Just sing it all? I said, you know it all? He goes, oh yeah. And he killed it. It was like listening <laughs> to Ashley just sing, it'd be a real good time to hold my hand. It's like, damn, I kind of, I'd love to have heard you cut that song too. Cause just the way that they do it is unbelievable. So I was fine with all of a sudden just it being a Blake, Sh a Blake Sheldon single. I was fine with that because he sang it all the way from top to bottom. And uh, it was great. Uh, just enjoyed it. I, and after the first pass, you were right there behind me. I said, Hoss, I, you can sing it again if you want, but I'm, I've got everything I need. And he said, no, let's sing it again. It's fun. So he sang it three or four more times, but we used his first pass on it. It's just, he was fun. So that was, that was cool. When he walked out of there, I had a new respect because I got to work with him and see that he's a no-nonsense guy. Come on, let's get it done, we're in. And then if you're in the studio for five hours, it's because you're hanging around laughing, jovial and everything, not because you're, somebody's pulling an ego, an attitude, or doesn't know their homework. This cat did it and did it well. Very cool. Well, really, we were supposed to let y'all go like 30 minutes ago, but we just kept, kept going. <laughs> uh, do you ever take question and answer? Would that be crazy to do? We can totally take okay. question and answer. Our conversation wound down and Garth got interactive with the fans and accepted questions from the audience. So we're good? Yes, ma'am. I'm great. Right. Then I have some closing, I have some closing remarks. We want to thank Mr. Garth 
for uh, for coming out. It's been an honor. It's been a joy. Tonight. It were... has been nothing short of an honor. And for those people who moved here just for the dream and the task, I can't thank you enough for your courage, and I wish you all the success on the planet. Yeah. And Miss Ashley, she's already gone. Um, yes, ma'am. So happy that she was able to come out tonight for us. Um, and thank you for being such an amazing crowd. I'm super nervous in front of people, and tonight, y'all are so great. I don't think That's I, uh, I'm not embarrassed. I didn't think I didn't think you were nervous at all. And, and you being a journalist and not in front of the people, I was I was wondering how you were going to do. But I thought you were fantastic. Well, but everybody good. loves you. Anyway. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Country Mile. This podcast series is produced by the USA Today Networks, Erica Whitney and John Garcia, and I'm your host, Cindy Watts theme music from KillerTracks.com. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to rate and leave a review as well. For more in-depth coverage of country music, visit Tennessean.com backslash Country Mile.